Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Well, along with getting into shape, being more productive is a common goal people have. And while there are a ton of books and articles out there filled with productivity advice, which ones actually work? Well, my guest today took a year out of his life to test all the productivity advice out there and has written a book sharing what has worked for him. His name is Chris Bailey, and he's the author of the book, The Productivity Project, Accomplishing More by Managing Your Time, Attention, and Energy. And today on the show, Chris and I discuss the common misconceptions about productivity that lead people astray in their goals, why having a why is the most important step in becoming more productive, and why planning your day around your personal energy cycle can boost your productivity significantly. Chris also gives specific tactics about how to beat procrastination, strengthening your ability to focus. This episode is chock full of actionable advice, so take notes. After the show is over, check out the show notes at aom.is slash productivity project. Chris Bailey, welcome to the show. Brett. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So uh, you wrote a book called The Productivity Project, um, where you took a year of your life to experiment with being more productive. You, tr- you, you tried all sorts of different things, and then you've, you cataloged it on your blog and then in your book. So I'm curious, uh, why did you si- decide to take a year out of your life? You know, you could have taken, I think you had jobs, job offers on the table, but you passed those up to do this experiment. Why did you do this? Well, somebody's got to do it, right? I, I mean, there's a lot of productivity advice out there, I think. And, you know, this life hack kind of space, there's uh, this whole productivity sphere on the internet and, and in books and literature. And so I, I really wanted to take a year to to follow this curiosity of mine. You know, some people have normal interests like cooking and politics and manliness and, and, and what a shaving, you know, whatever, whatever gets people going. But for me, for some weird reason, I have no idea why it might be the fact that both my parents are psychologists, which, which kind of makes me a bit of a weirdo, I guess. Um, I, I've been into this idea of productivity and I, I don't mean product, you know, productivity as it's a word that has a lot of baggage attached to it. You know, people think of something that's so cold and corporate and all about reducing their life down to a spreadsheet. But the way I I think of productivity and the way I've always thought of it is we only have so much time. And so the best productivity tactics exist to allow us to accomplish more in what limited time we have. And so I wanted to take a year. I I looked at how much money I had in the bank because I'd worked uh, up to that point so that I could receive a couple job offers. Uh, So I looked at how much I had in the bank. I didn't have a ton, but I thought if I eat a lot of beans and rice and live with my girlfriend for a year and really kind of slummed it, um, I, I could make it through a year or 12 months 
of following this curiosity of mine where I could separate the productivity advice out there, kind of work as a, as a sieve in a way where, you know, take in all the research, interview as many experts as would talk to me. Thankfully, more spoke to me as the project went on and, you know, poured over journal articles and books to really filter out uh, and experiment with what works and what doesn't. So you weren't just looking at life hack blogs to get the ideas for your experiments. You were actually looking at uh, scientific research and uh, of, on the issue of pro- the, the facets of productivity that are out there. Well, I think I think you have to because that's the thing about the best productivity advice is the best. Here's the thing about productivity advice, man. Like you gotta re, you know, for all the time you spend reading or even listening to people like me ramble on about productivity advice, you have to make that time back and then some. Or else you're basically just looking at productivity porn. And there's a lot of productivity porn out there. And most life hacks are like, oh, fashion this pen to a paper clip and put it on your shoe and you can get more. Like that's, that's, you know, a lot of hogwash that's built into uh, tactics like that. Like, don't get me wrong. It's fun to read about. And I love reading about that stuff as much as as the next guy. But really, I think where productivity earns its keep is in allowing us to basically get everything done that we have to so we have more time for what's actually meaningful to us. Right. So let's talk about how you, you kind of mentioned how you define productivity um, a bit. It's about getting more done in the, in the, the limited time you have. But it seems like you have a broader definition of productivity because most people, when they think productivity, they think time, time management. That's what I do. But how do you, what other facets of life do you incorporate in productivity? That that was the fascinating part of the productivity project is I went into it thinking, okay, you know, the way to become more productive is to work faster, faster, harder, harder, and manage my time better. But when I started zooming out, because when you start looking at the factors that go into, into something like productivity, you really begin to get a sense of the ingredients that contribute to exactly what allows us to get more done. And so when you start at that definition, you know, if you started a different definition, you might come up with a different conclusion. But if you start with the definition of productivity, where it's how much we accomplish, and more than that, it's about accomplishing what we intended to do. Because, uh, you know, that, that's the thing, too, is if we intend to have a really business-like day and submit a few TPS reports, whatever those are, and we intend to ace a job interview and ship a new product at work, and then we do... I, I would argue that we're perfectly productive. And, and the same is true if we intend to have a nice, relax. like I got one of these coming up tomorrow. I can't wait. You know, it, uh, tomorrow I've got a massage booked. I've got a few books ready to go. I, I have some academic papers that I'm going to read because that's what I do for fun. Please send help. And that's that's what I intend to do. And I think if you call, you know, intend to have a relaxing day on the beach and then you do, uh, you're perfectly productive in those cases. But when you zoom out to look at the different ingredients that contribute to your success in that way, you realize that productivity is a lot more than just managing your time. Because if you can't focus on what you intended to do, it doesn't matter what you scheduled. And the same is true for your energy levels, where if you intend to ha- you know, do this day and you burn out at one or two in the afternoon, you can- your productivity is going to be toast. And that was kind of the, the model that I came up with by the end of the productivity project is I realized that every single lesson that actually, um, you know, earned its keep, 
that actually allowed me to earn its the time back that I spent on it fell into one of those three different categories, either a better managing my time, my attention, or my energy. And I think all three of these ingredients are crucial in, in our productivity. And, and why is understanding that productivity is more than just time management important in our knowledge economy? Well, because we no longer do work with our hands, we do it with our brains. And because we have such a limited pool of physiological energy in our brain, and we only have so much ability to focus, you've probably experienced that that sensation where you, you're trying to hunker down on your work and you, you're staring at the same email for 10 or 15 minutes and looking at your response to it. And you, you just think, okay, man, I, I need a break. And then you step back from it. You know, you get a coffee or something like that. You take a walk and then you come back and you, you, you rewrite it in two minutes and send it. You, you know, the, these ingredients are so crucial because for that simple fact, we no longer just do with work with our hands, we do it with our brains now. And, and we need all the energy and all the focus that we can possibly bring to it. You know, never mind the fact that we have more distractions and interruptions than we've ever had before in our history. Uh, you know, this, this makes this uh, more, I, I would say, holistic view of productivity, where it's uh, the confluence of our time, attention, and energy uh, more important. Right. One of the things I love about your book, you start off very broad, big picture, the 10,000-mile view of things. And you argue that uh, it's important for people to have a why of productivity. They need to have a purpose on why they're being productive. Uh, what happens if you try being productive without a purpose? Well, well this is one of the things that I found with the most productive people I encountered over the course of the project is the most productive executives, um, you know, stay-at-home moms, you know, wh whatever person you want to look at, they had a reason for investing in their productivity. And so the least productive people that I found are the ones who worked on autopilot mode. And you've probably felt yourself falling into that mode before where your email inbox becomes your to-do list, you're, you're working in response to the work that comes your way instead of setting a direction for where you want to go. And so knowing why we want to become more productive, I think is crucial. And having a why before you invest in your productivity, it, I think it's, it's essential to keep you motivated to keep going. For me, it's a sense of uh, us only having so much time in our day uh, to to live our life. You know, uh, the clock is ticking. This, this is my reason. You, you know, your reason might be that you want to become vice president and have a massive house or that you want to live, you want to retire by the age of 40. Whatever your reason might be. Uh, you know, in my case, it's that we only have so much time. You know, we think we live until we're 90. I was thinking about this idea the other day, so it might come out. It might not. But uh, this is one of those shower thoughts, you know, when you kind of let your mind be. Um, I, I was thinking about it the other day, and we think we live to 90, but we spend a third of our life sleeping, so we basically live to 60. We spend a third of our life working, so essentially we live until we're 30. And once you account for the household chores, the eating, the the kind of maintenance stuff we do, we might have a lifespan of 10 or 20 years tops. And so I think that's why productivity exists is because we only have so much time to, to live a meaningful life. Right. So you focus a section about measuring productivity. Yeah. Um, because right, there's that phrase, what, what gets measured gets managed. Oh or man, that's, that phrase. 
Oh, right. It makes me upset. Sorry. It makes you upset. Okay. Well, why does it make you upset? So, I mean, why is that? Be- because in the knowledge economy, how do you measure knowledge work? You know, you could have two programmers and programmers are, are a good go-to example. You know, you give them both an hour and programmer A writes 800 lines of code. Programmer B writes 20 lines of code. How do you measure their productivity? It looks like the programmer A who wrote, you know, hundreds of lines of code is infinitely more productive when programmer B might have uh, solved the problem in the first five minutes and, you know, solved it smarter using more experience and knowledge than, than the first guy. And th- this is, I think, why measuring productivity is more of an art than a science in this way, where when it's about how much we accomplish rather than, um, rather than any other factor, it's, it's more difficult to manage in that way. Like you look at where we used to work when we used to work in more of a, I call it the time economy in the productivity project, where there was a direct relationship between how many hours we worked and exactly how productive we were. If we worked one hour uh, on an assembly line, we shipped 10 widgets. If we worked uh, 10 hours on that same assembly line, we can do 100 widgets. It's simple because it's hard to simple math because it's hard to do math live on a podcast. But today, uh, you know, the the connection between how long we work for and how much we accomplish has been severed because we can invest more in in cultivating how much energy we have and we can focus deeper on our work and get two hours of work accomplished in 30 minutes if we invest in our productivity the right way. And productivity tactics that allow us to do that are elusive. You know, I I experienced with, I experimented with hundreds of them over the course of the project and I probably whittled it down to about 20 or, or 25 in the book, uh, because these tactics are hard to find. But the most, the, the best ones allow us to, you know, take a step back and think about what's actually important. Right. So, you're, I mean, it sounds like you're saying that you, it, you can't measure productivity, or is there a metric you can use, or are you just sort of, if you get the stuff done that you needed to get done, you are being productive. Uh, I, I would say that, and the way I measure my productivity is I keep an, an accomplishments list, and so throughout the week, whenever I make a milestone in, uh, you know, in a certain project, whenever I uh, knock something out of the park, whenever I ship something, I put it on the accomplishments list, and I look back on that at the end of the week. And you know, this goes to the idea that, and I fall into this trap all the time, by the way, where. The idea that we want to invest in our productivity, where we want to become more productive, on a certain level, implies that we're not entirely satisfied with where we're at already. And it's kind of a a problem to rectify, frankly, when it comes to investing in our productivity. But I've found that, that keeping this list allows me to really align what I'm doing over the course of the day to what will actually allow me to achieve more rather than just do more. Um, Because, you know, when that that connection between how long we work and how much we accomplish has been severed, you know, that that idea of looking at how much we accomplish has never been more important. And this is what bugs me about a lot of traditional team environments, by the way. Um, I, I was speaking at Google last week and the way they they measure they manage their their employees at Google is fascinating because they don't look at how many hours the employees there work because 
you know, some, somebody could work eight to four, somebody could work 10 to six. It doesn't really matter. What matters is how much they accomplish. And that's really what they look at at the end of the day. And, you know, if, if there's a pet peeve that I have with, uh, the way we, we manage each other in organizations and, you know, the way we manage our own productivity, it's that we look at, at what we do rather than how much we accomplish. And, and that's the thing about busyness, right? Is busyness is really no different from laziness when it doesn't lead us to accomplish more over the course of the day. Because we could be busy answering email all day long, or we could be busy checking social media uh, all day long. But because not all tasks in our work are created equal, we have to separate what's important from what isn't and really align ourselves to, to work on that instead, I think. Well, that's great. That's a great uh, segue to my next question. How do you figure out what's important and what's not important? Nothing like a good segue, right? Yeah. Am I right? right. Uh, the, way I, the way I like to do this, uh, and it's difficult to, to invest in your productivity if you don't first take a step back and consider what you actually want to become more productive on. And I think that's, that's the thing a lot of people miss with the whole life hack space and, and productivity advice space is you have to have a good sense of what's actually important in your work. Because when you get right down to it, you don't get paid to check email. Uh, you don't get paid to be on social media. Uh, you don't get paid to be busy. You get paid to do a, a small number of things. Usually most people in the knowledge economy where we trade our, our knowledge uh, and our productivity for a paycheck as opposed to just our time. Um, we, we get paid to do more complex work. And so I think one of the best things, and I, I write about this in the book, but I'll, I'll give you kind of the, the Coles notes or, or the Cliff Notes summary. I'm in Canada, so I, I accidentally dropped these Canadian references like Coles notes. Um, we're getting... 20 centimeters of snow today, by the way, in, in November. It's, it's absolutely disgusting. Uh, but what I think one of the best things that you can do before you invest in your productivity uh, is make a list of every single activity you do in your work over the course of a, of a month. And once you, this, this is freeing in and of itself, by the way, because how often do you step back and think, okay, what, do, what am I actually doing here? But once you have that list, ask yourself, if I can only do one thing on this list day in, day out, every day, all day, which of these would allow me to accomplish the most? Which of these is the most meaningful? And that is the most productive task in your work. Because again, productivity is how much we accomplish, not how much we produce. And it, more than that, it's about working deliberately and, and with more intentionality behind what we're doing. So taking this step back and thinking about what's important is, is crucial. And once you get the first one, uh, you know, once you got that list, think, okay, what's the second most valuable activity that I'm actually doing here? And what's the third most valuable? And you'll probably find that after you've picked two, three, in some cases, even four activities that are central in your work, uh, your productivity after that will drop off a cliff because we really, uh, in, in our work today, only a few things are important. Um, it's mentoring new employees. It's writing code. It's, um, you know, writing, so whatever it is that's central in our work. And everything in addition to that 
either supports our work like email and instant messaging and calls and meetings, uh, or it can be eliminated or, or delegated entirely. So that, that's, you know, long answer aside, that's, that's one of the most valuable things. And it's kind of tedious, right? But it feels good after you do this because you get a signal of, of what's important. So let's say you, you figure out what your three or four things that are the most important in your your work. Um, yeah. And you mentioned like with the other stuff that's not so important, you either delegate or eliminate it. What do you do with the stuff that you can't delegate or eliminate? How can you manage that more effectively? Like email? Yeah, like, like meetings. Yeah, oh, meetings. man. The, the, uh, yeah. Do you have a lot of email? How, how do you deal? I'm curious like what your email situation is like. I actually I don't get too much email. Um, no, no, I've uh, I've made myself one. hard to get to. Um, <laughs> I have it. I, I yeah, have I mean, your so email. like in, I, I'm uh, going to send you a lot. Of, I'm going to send you like five or ten emails a day now. Right. Well, you hey, have my email. Hey, bro, address. how's it going? But, yeah. Hey, bro. Go? No, <laughs> like I, on my contact form, I don't have a contact form. I I have my post office box address. Oh, that's uh, cool. Do people, people send you like handwritten? Yeah, things and people then? send handwritten letters, which, which I mean, most of the email I was getting through that form were PR stuff. Yeah. Um, and so as soon as I put that that buffer up, it like that just almost disappeared. Oh man, I I need to get me some of that because I yeah. I probably get probably similar situation as you fifty hundred PR messages every day. Yeah, it's just, I don't. You know, I don't archive, get archive, 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 archive. But but yeah, th- things like that in our work, like email, like meetings, we can't get rid of email, right? Nobody in their right mind gets rid of email. But when we can't eliminate something entirely, we can either delegate it. So I have my assistant kind of comb through my emails to, to archive anything that that's selfish or anything that's too promotional uh, so that I can deal with the rest. I check my email once every day at 3 p.m. Uh, but the better way to do this and the more realistic way to do this instead of delegating is to shrink how much time and attention we spend on these tasks uh, instead of delegating them. And so, uh, you know, scheduling windows throughout the day to check your email. Uh, I I think a good place to start with this because, you know, it's so difficult to make drastic changes like these overnight. If you can't, you know, set up a PO box because that's, that's kind of a, cool idea. I might have to do that. I might steal that, man. Should uh, do it. Is to uh, <laughs> simply notice how many times you check email over the course of the day automatically. Because chances are the number is a lot higher than you think. I think it was Rescue Time that looked at how many times over the course of the day knowledge workers checked email, and they checked it an average of 41 times. And when I saw this stat, I thought, there's no way. I checked my email 41 times. And so I made a little tally myself and I, I checked it like 35 times. It, it was ridiculous because email is this, you know, we, we get so much validation and stimulation from checking it. We get, uh, it, it fires up every emotion in us. And so by pre-deciding when we're going to invest our, our time into something like this, we can level up and become a lot more productive. I, I have a, an autoresponder where if somebody emails me, it says, I only check my email once a day at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and I'll get to your message then. And it's simple. And people people seem to not be too upset about it because they, they realize that email isn't an, an important and vital uh, aspect of our work. You know, it feels important and vital, but as long as somebody gets a response and doesn't have to wait forever for it, 
we we can uh, we we can level up and become more productive that way. So by pre-deciding and how, how we're going to shrink these elements, I, I have a kind of a VIP email where the people that are I work more closely with, like my publisher, like my my agents, like my uh, assistant, they they have access to this uh, email address, so they can ping me throughout the day and and I can correspond with them that way. But um, everybody else, you know, it's kind of a filter in that way where I've pre-decided how I'm going to shrink these elements and, and deal with them that way. All right. So uh, batch, batch the email, only check it a few times a day and just focus on email and that's it. And I guess another thing with that is like, don't use your email as a to-do list. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what a lot of people, that, that trips me up often is that that's what keeps my, e- keeps me in my email all the time is I'm using it as a to-do list. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a, it's a tough habit to break, but it's one that's worth breaking, you know, taking, and it seems like an extra step, right? Um, you know, you get an email, which has something you have to action, and then you take that and you put it on your to-do list. It seems like, like more hassle than it's worth, but you got to realize that when we're constantly tapped into this world of email, I think it was Gloria Mark, uh, she's an attention researcher I spoke with in, in the project. She found that when we're totally interrupted in our work, we can lose as much as 25 minutes of productivity because of that interruption. So when we have email notifications popping up into the corner of our screen and buzzing us on our phone, that can derail our productivity a lot more than we think, especially when it requires our full attention to deal with. And so it, it, it might seem more efficient to use your email as a, as a to-do list, but it, it really isn't in practice. And what about uh, the, You're that the, siren? the maintenance? You're that siren. Is that a siren? It's a, it's a mess today here in snowy Ottawa. It, it's, snowy. Like, um, it, it's like the first snowfall of the season. You would think us Canadians would have this stuff down where we get snow and we shovel it, but... Uh, having troubles drivers right drivers well we've been talking about work stuff but like what about um like just life maintenance stuff like grocery shopping cleaning cooking you know paying bills making appointments i mean some people they can hire personal assistants to take care of that stuff and they have the money to outsource a lot of this stuff but like what if you don't um yeah how can you how can you be more effective uh with so it doesn't take up it doesn't interrupt your day and allows you to focus more on what's more important well, the, these are kind of those maintenance tasks, right? Like um, things we have to do to live a, a a reasonable life that don't necessarily progress our life forward in any ways. And so things like, uh, yeah, like you said, making appointments, like cooking meals for the week, which I like to do every Sunday, like cleaning up around the house, like doing grocery shopping and chores around the city. Uh, wh- what I like to do with these things is I, I've been annoyed by these types of tasks for a while. As somebody who's into productivity, you know, I, I don't want to be a slob, right? You got to shave, you got to do beard maintenance and stuff like that. But at the same time, these don't progress your life forward in any meaningful way. And, and so, you know, it's funny we're just chatting about batching because the best way I've found to deal with these is to batch them all together. I, I like to do this on Sunday afternoon. Uh, yesterday, I, I made myself a couple cups of coffee, not at once, you know, I made one and then drank it. Then I made another cup with an arrow. Have you tried an AeroPress, by the way? These? No, I have not. I know we've written about them before. Oh, I'm sure it, it's very like in the vein of what you guys write about. It's the best cup of coffee. Uh, in fact, save yourself some money by not buying my book and buy an AeroPress instead. 
actually, actually they work, they work well together. Um, you know, I, I make a cup of coffee on Sunday afternoon and what I do is I sip on this while I uh, have go through my maintenance day list. And so this has everything like setting a few intentions for the week ahead, like cleaning up, like doing groceries, like preparing lunches for the week, which I do with my girlfriend, uh, like doing any errands that happen to accumulate. And the idea behind this ritual is, first of all, you feel amazing when your whole house is clean and also your mental space is clean because there's, there's a direct relationship between how clean our environment is and how clearly we think. Uh, in fact, you know, I, I, I'm kind of nerd, nerding ab- out about this idea right now. If you want to be creative, you have to go into a messy room because the more scattered the the physical environment is, the more scattered your mental environment is too, and and the more disparate your ideas and and, and the uh, connections you'll make will be. But the opposite is true too. You feel uh, more mental clarity when you're in a clean environment. But that's kind of a tangent, obviously. Uh, so Sunday afternoon, I lump all these tasks together. I don't do them throughout the week. I even have things like cutting nails on my maintenance day list because I don't want to do that throughout the week. I want to make it a ritual of doing it on Sunday. And you feel like you're propelled into the week ahead when you when you tackle this ritual. It's frankly, it feels kind of weird to talk about, but it is one of my favorite weekly rituals at, at home because you feel like you're starting the week with a a blank slate and a fresh slate. And when you set intentions at the same time, you know exactly what you want to accomplish in the week ahead. All right. So batch everything and just focus on those tasks on a yeah. single day. Um, so yeah, I mean, so one of the things I found interesting about your book is that the theme is just focus on one thing at a time. Um, because I think most people, when they think I got to get more done, I have to just jumble, I have to juggle multiple tasks at the, the, at the same time, multitasking. But you talk about in your book, the research suggests that multitasking is probably the biggest productivity killer and you should just monotask or just focus on one task at a time. Yeah, and this is, I think, one of the best ways to become more productive in the moment. You know, if taking a step back and, you know, one of my intention setting rituals that I love is the rule of three. I do that every morning. We, we can chat about it in a sec. But once you, you've figured out what's important, it's on a moment by moment basis that you work towards those goals. It's not on a general basis. This is why so many New Year's resolutions fall apart is we make these grand intentions at the start of the year. But in the moment, you know, we, we, one part of us knows we want a six pack by the summer and the other part of us wants to, wants to eat a cheeseburger and, you know, veg out with a bag of chips watching Netflix. And so it's in the moment that we actually become more productive. And the thing about the way our attention is wired is we don't have a lot of focus to give to the world around us. One study, one of my favorite studies shows that our brain is processing, it has the ability to process 11 million bits um, every second. Um, so we that's how much information it's being bombarded uh, in terms of the nerve endings in our brain uh, every, every single second, 11 million. But in any given moment, we can only consciously focus on 40 bits of information. And so you you can kind of look around when you're listening to this podcast, you know, what you have in front of you, what you're doing right now. Maybe you're in front of your computer, you can see that. Maybe you're going on a walk, maybe you're at the gym. In the room that you're in right now, 
there are thousands of things that you can focus on, uh, individual thoughts going on in your head, uh, objects in your environment, but you can only con consciously focus on 40. And so the amount of attention we have to give to what's in front of us is very, very constrained. And, you know, the idea that multitasking doesn't work is a bit of a myth, frankly, but in only a certain way where we can multitask uh, on ha habitual things. So things that don't take conscious energy, you know, you can breathe while you're working. Thank God. <laughs> you know, we do habits automatically without much thought. So they don't take up too much attentional space. We can walk and chew bubble gum at the same time. Uh, we can even do habitual tasks on the computer, like, uh, you know, reading the news while doing a bit of habitual email even. But the most vital tasks in our work, the ones you, if you did the, the activity we, we were chatting about where you take a step back and filter out what's important from what isn't, those most vital tasks in your work, regardless of the work you do, are, are so important because they take more of your attention and more of your energy. And if you're productive, more of your time than any other task in your work. And most people, um, you know, 1% of people, these super taskers are able to do this, maybe even less than 1%. But most people can't actively focus on more than one of these at one time. Because for the simple fact that your productivity benefits, the more attention you focus on these, and they're more detailed, uh, they're more immersive, um, they take more focus to do right. And so this is why multitasking doesn't work, is because the most productive tasks in our work require more of us. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family? when I'm gone, if something happens to me. 
Well, it's one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. So that's why you argue instead of like having this massive to-do list in front of you where you're just kind of clicking off, you know, checking off things, just narrow your to-do list to three big tasks a day. Yeah. And this is called called the rule of three. And it's one of my favorite rituals. Um, and, and here it is. And this is, you know, it's a simple thing that you can action right away that, you know, again, you have to earn the time you spend investing in productivity advice back. This you'll earn back a uh, hundred times over every morning. At the start of the day, you fast forward to the end of the day in your head and you ask yourself, by the time this day is done, what three main things will I want to have accomplished? And it does a it does a number of things. It sounds like kind of a, a simple rule, but it excuse me it, at, at one time it allows you to separate what's important that day from what isn't. And uh, unlike a lot of other systems where you know it takes hours to organize everything on your plate and you you lose a lot of time and actually working <laughs> and actually being productive on those things, it only takes three, four minutes every morning where you define these three things and you separate what's important from what isn't. And you can consider your constraints at the same time. So, you know, uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I work for myself. I have a lot of autonomy in my work as, as you likely do too. And we have more flexibility 
and more control over what we intend to accomplish. But we can consider the constraints. And so if we have a full day of meetings or if we're working a job where we don't have total freedom and flexibility with how we spend our, uh, our time, uh, attention and energy, we can adjust our schedule accordingly and our attentions accordingly. And sometimes, sometimes our day will inform what we intend to accomplish. And so this is kind of, you know, these three tactics. And by, by the way, at the, at the start of the day, I do this. And also at the start of the week, every Sunday, I define my three weekly intentions for work and for home. So this is how I get, get some modicum of balance for the week ahead. And this is the idea you know, that we don't work on autopilot to become more productive. We work deliberately and with intention to become more productive. It's kind of where that idea filters down. And so we start by looking at what's important in general in our work. Then we look at what's important every week. Then we look at what we intend to do every day. And, you know, if we only did three things all day, every day, we probably wouldn't have a job after much of a period of time. So we need a to-do list, I, I think, in conjunction with this to manage what we have to get done. But when we bring that down to the moment where we work on one thing at one time, um, especially when we have the most energy throughout the day, that I think is the stuff that productivity dreams are made of. And, you know, I, I'm I'm a bit of a nerd about this stuff, so I might be a bit more into this than, than some other people. But that that excites me more than anything because that's how we actually achieve our broader goals. And, and that's actually how we accomplish more because when we do those three things, we can choose what's important and actually act towards that every day and every moment. We'll talk about energy management in here in a bit, but let's talk yeah. about uh, procrastination. Let's say you have some task on your, your, bit, your rule of three list that's super boring um, it's hard, uh, but yeah. it's completely vital in order for you to progress to where you want to get. And so you just put it off and you put it off and you put it off. Um, so why do we procrastinate? Is it because stuff is boring and hard? Um, or is there something else to why we procrastinate? Yeah, let's, let's look at like, what's something you're procrastinating on right now? I'll put you on the spot. Um, let's see. I'm procrastinating on, uh, making some edits to a book that we're, uh, publishing here oh, pretty soon. Nice. Um, so you look at a task like that, making edits to a book, and you know I, I found the same thing when I was editing my my book or looking over the edits that that other people made. It, it turns out that there are certain attributes a task can have that make us more likely to procrastinate on it. And there's, if I remember right, there's seven of them, and I'm going to try to remember them here. <laughs> Those are whether a task, like you said, is boring. And so, you know, editing a book, pretty boring. Uh, it's frustrating, uh, whether it's difficult, whether it lacks personal meaning, whether it lacks intrinsic reward, so it's not rewarding in and of itself, uh, whether it's ambiguous or whether it's unstructured. And so the more of these triggers, essentially, a task has, the more likely you are to put it off. So editing a book, it's pretty boring. It's a bit frustrating um, because, you know, it, it requires a lot of attention. It's difficult. Um, you know, it might be difficult, but it might be more tedious than difficult. It's not really rewarding in and of itself because books are pretty long, as as people know. It's pretty ambiguous and it's definitely unstructured. And so this is why we procrastinate on stuff. You know, you you look at something that you don't procrastinate on, like watching Netflix 
as, as an example. You know, I wouldn't know anything about that. But, you know, watching Netflix doesn't have any of these. It's not boring. It's not frustrating. It's not difficult at all. It probably lacks personal meaning. So, you know, unless you're watching like nature documentaries or something, um, it, 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 you know, it, it's not ambiguous. It's not unstructured. In fact, it's so structured that you get like a little preview of the next episode and it automatically starts playing before you're finished watching the current episode. Again, you know, as a productivity expert, I, I only know this from the research that I've done, obviously. Um, but you know, it, it doesn't have any of these triggers. And so we don't put it off, you know, doing our taxes has most of them. And, but by using this science behind why we procrastinate, it turns out that we can actually flip these triggers around. So if editing the book is is boring, if you find yourself putting it off, you know, you can make a plan to reverse that. So if it's boring, you can go to a fancy cafe and, and get a latte. You know, it's it's almost, you know, Christmas here. And so it, maybe you can get like a one of those like uh, candy cane lattes or something. I had a rosemary latte the other day, you know, like rosemary, the, the herb. It's pretty good. In, uh, in Ottawa here. If anybody's in Ottawa, let, email me and I'll let you know the place. Um, so you can make it less boring by doing that. That makes it less frustrating at the same time. Uh, if it's unstructured, you can make a plan over the next, say, two weeks to, to do chapter one this day and chapter two this day and, and make a schedule for when you're going to do these things. And by making this plan and setting these intentions, um, you can actually re- reverse the triggers around and, and make it a more uh, enjoyable experience and, and less uh, likely that you'll put it off. Fantastic. Any other tactics besides tweaking the triggers to reduce procrastination? P- part of it is is thinking about your future self at, at the same time. This this is one of my favorite tactics, and it's kind of a kind of a weird one. But we are so disconnected with our future self, which is basically just ourself, but in the future. In front of me here uh, on my desk, I have a I have a nice framed picture of myself, um, as most egotistical people do. But the, this this picture of myself is of a 60-year-old version of me. And I had this picture done up and, and framed. I actually got a fracture done where they print the picture on a glass. It's pretty cool. And it sits on my desk all day so that I can consider myself in the future. And it's kind of a, a simple cue. But so often we put stuff off because we're disconnected with our future self. And so this is why we have a bunch of, you know, to work off the Netflix theme here. Um, I've been watching a lot of Netflix this weekend, especially I was reorganizing my filing cabinet on maintenance day yesterday. And so I got through a few episodes of shows, but this is why we have like documentaries that we're bound to watch someday. We buy all these classic books and then we end up reading, you know, the trashy books or, or listening to other stuff instead or watching TV um, because we're disconnected with this idea of our future self. And in fact, if you wheeled yourself, Brett, into a, into a brain scanning machine, into an fMRI machine, and, and, you know, I told you, Brett, you know, think about yourself, but in 20 or 30 years, uh, and then think of George Clooney. Uh, the, the fascinating thing about these brain scans would be that they were basically identical to one another. 
And so we basically view our future self as a stranger, which is why we put stuff off. This is why we agree to, you know, where we wouldn't want to have coffee with somebody tomorrow. We agree to coffee with them uh, three weeks from now. This is why we sign up for for weird courses and stuff down the line where we wouldn't want to necessarily do it next week. And so by by considering the idea that in the future we'll basically be as we are now, except, you know, maybe a little bit more productive and, and successful, we can consider the idea that chances are, you know, we won't have an infinite amount of energy later on. Chances are we won't have boundless time. Maybe we'll even have less time if the trend continues uh, or more time if we invest in our productivity. Um, and we can consider the idea that most things are, are worth doing right away. Right. Okay. That's fantastic. Um, so let's talk about managing energy. Because um, you, you say that productivity isn't just about managing time. It's also about managing uh, your energy as well. So you argue that you need to, in order to be the most productive you can be, you need to work uh, in your biological prime time. Oh, yes. So sir. how do we how do we figure out what these prime times are? First, I, I did it kind of a an intense way in the productivity project because you know why not, right? I only had a year to to do this stuff. So what I did for the span of three weeks, and I did a little prep before, um, is I cut out caffeine, I cut out alcohol. I cut out sugary foods because they kind of spike and, and influence your energy levels and then you crash. Um, I ate small meals so that my energy was frequent throughout the day. I, and I woke up and fell asleep naturally because all of these ingredients influence how much energy we have over the course of the day. And after I cut these out and caffeine, I cut out beforehand because <clears throat> it, it takes our, our body a little while to, to, to catch up and, and kind of beat the procrastinate or the, uh, the caffeine withdrawal is I charted how much energy I had out of 10 every single hour, every single day for three weeks. <clears throat> excuse me. And, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I need some, some more coffee, I think. Um, and, and then I charted how much energy I had and I looked at how much the, the kind of trend lines over the course of these three weeks. And I found something remarkable. And it was that without fail, there were natural patterns to my energy levels over the course of this time. And so I found between the hours of 10 and noon and 5 and 8 p.m., I had more energy than in any other hour of the day. And I did a bit of digging into this. And part of it depends on our chronotype, which you might have heard of, which basically dictates how much energy we have over the course of the day. And so morning birds, these people who rise at, you know, 5am <laughs> to meditate and do yoga and stuff like that. Um, they have more energy early on in the day. Other people who kind of half stumble out of bed and struggle to, to get by like me, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, I'm one of these people who works late into the night because that's when, when I have the most energy. Uh, we have more energy later on in the day. And so the idea is by getting a sense and a feel for when we naturally have the most energy, we can adjust our schedule accordingly and shape it around when we naturally are the most productive because there's a direct connection between how much energy we have and how productive we are. The more energy we bring to our work, the more we're going to accomplish. And 
Because as we were chatting, not all tasks in our work are created equal. When we do our most vital tasks, like the three intentions that we set at the start of the day, when we naturally have the most energy. Um, so I, I like to do my three daily intentions between 10 and noon and between 5 and 8 p.m. And that's because I want those to be as productive as possible, and I want to uh, I want to do as good of a job as I possibly can on them. And tasks like email, you know, I check my email every day at 3 p.m. for the simple fact that I have the least amount of energy then, and email isn't that vital of a task for me. And so we we usually don't have total control and flexibility over how we manage our schedule over the course of the day, but we usually have some. You know, we can come in a bit later into work if we have flex hours and and we, we're more productive later on in the day, or we can show up at 7 a.m., not, not p.m., and, and be productive in those hours if we find we have the most energy then. And so the idea is that by shaping, you know, all, all hours of the day, n- not all hours of the day are created equal. You know, there are some when we're naturally more productive than in others. And by shaping our schedule around those hours, we can level up to become even more productive that way. Great stuff. Yeah, I've, I've been trying to do a better job of, of man- scheduling my work around my energy levels. Um, I know that I'm more focused in the morning, like mid-morning. So I try to do more of my writing during those times. And then, yeah, email, I say for whenever I'm just like... Are you, are you a morning bird, would, would you say? Like what time do you uh, usually get up at? I, well, I feel like I used to be a morning bird, um, but I've slowly shifted to being a night owl for some reason. Um, I don't uh, know why. I've kind of just let it happen. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, maybe maybe you were trying to force waking up early into your schedule. And th- this is what what I found, because our, our chronotype and the way we're wired stays pretty consistent over time. And I, I think a lot of people like the idea of being an early riser. And I, I did dozens of productivity experiments over the course of the project and, you know, things like living in isolation for 10 days. I meditated for 35 hours one week. I became a total slob for another week, all in the name of productivity. But another one of them was waking up at 5.30 every day. And, and it took me a few months to kind of wedge this schedule and this routine into my life. And I finally had it, though, a, a few months into this. Um, the the ideal routine that I thought, at least, that productivity dreams are made of. I, I woke up at 5.30 to make a coffee. At 6, I walked over to the gym. I planned out my uh, daily intentions while I was working out. Then I made a healthy breakfast. I meditated. I showered. I connected to the internet because I disconnect from the internet between 8 p.m. and 8 a.m. every day. I did that during the project and still do. I read and then I started working at nine and I felt so productive because I got so much done before the rest of the world woke up. But I quickly realized that I absolutely hated the ritual. I I had to go to sleep when my friends and my girlfriend wanted to hang out. Um, I had to go to sleep when I was on a roll because I was so productive late at night and because I wanted, I needed to wake up at 5.30 and didn't want to compromise on sleep, which would have been worse. And I realized that I absolutely hated the ritual because I simply have more energy later on in the day. And that, that led me to a lot of research where there's no difference in somebody's socioeconomic standing um, depending on what time they wake up at. It's what we do with the hours of our day 
that make the difference in our productivity. And, and you can think about it logically, right? Because if you have one person that wakes up at 5.30 and does their routine, then you have somebody who wakes up at 9 a.m. and does their daily routine, and the routines are the same, they're going to be just as productive. But what does change over the course of the day is how much energy we have and how much energy we have to bring to our work and to our life. Um, and and I, I think we got to structure our day around that rather than, you know, I, I was in love. And, and this goes to the idea of knowing why we have to, we want to make a change that we were chatting about earlier. I was in love with this sepia tone fantasy of being this early riser who was ultra productive and woke up early every single day. And, and, you know, I finally had it and I realized that because of the way I'm wired and because of the, the fact that this change wasn't that important to me, it really was a waste of time. And so not all productivity advice will work for you. And so, and this is one of the other things that I found in the project when I was kind of separating the advice that worked from the advice that doesn't is whenever anybody's doling out blanket productivity advice, you should question that advice. Um, because there's a lot of people who, you know, they want to promote their their book or their system so that they can, you know, get speaking gigs and consulting and, and stuff like that. Um, and you should always question advice that's kind of this blanket advice where somebody has, seems like they have everything figured out because it's really not what productivity tactics are the best, even though some work better than others for most people. It's what productivity tactics are the best for you. And this is true for email, you know, batching email. If you think that doesn't work for you, don't do it. You know, figure out figure out a different way to to re, you know, shift your focus between email and other elements of your work less. If you think waking up early won't work for you, don't do it. If you think a, a maintenance day or a maintenance half day won't work for you and you love that feeling of of maintaining these elements of your life throughout the day, don't do it. Um and that that speaks to the idea that Productivity isn't about how much we produce. It's about how much we accomplish because the best productivity advice out there will be self-reinforcing in that we'll do it and then we'll feel so good because doing so allows us to accomplish that much more that we'll keep going with it. But we really have to figure out the stuff that works for us and, and leave the rest. Right. I also think people need to keep in mind that uh, what works for you at one time might not work for you in another time. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that the way I manage my day has changed since when I was not married to when I was in college to when I have kids. Um, it's changed because the circumstances change. And so you have to adapt to that. Um, and I, I remember I tried really hard to like keep doing the way that I used to do things before I had kids and like that doesn't work. So I've had to adjust and uh, that's worked out for me. Well, that that's the thing, it, you know, productivity is so often a process of understanding our constraints. And so as, yeah, exactly. As the conditions of our life change, the tactics will change that work for us. Like waking up early is a good example of that. We'll stay wired the same way. But once we have kids, we might find that waking up at 5.30 every morning, even though it's kind of a struggle to, to get in bed at a reasonable hour, uh, we might find that those hours are the most serene and that we're able to write during them and that we're able to have some time for ourselves and kind of charge up before the day starts. And so we really, I, I totally, I'm with you. Yeah. So let's talk about managing attention um, because that's an important part. You can manage your time, have things scheduled down to a T. You can be working your prime time hours, but if you're not focused 
on your work. That that's all for naught. Um, so let's talk about the thing that causes like uh, trained us to be unfocused monkeys. Basically, um, is the internet. Um, the internet just sucks productivity out. And I think we talked about it earlier. You, uh, you know, you you need to take a break. You're like, okay, I'll just check Reddit for a bit, or I'll check Twitter, and then you know, an hour later, you're like, oh my gosh, what just happened? Um, and then you try to get focused on your work, but you want to keep checking your email. So what can we do to get a handle on our internet driven distraction? It's funny because the research shows, and this was a study done by, I believe Tim Pitchell out of Carleton university in Ottawa. He found that of the time we spend on the internet, we spend 47% of our time procrastinating. And so what that means is things quite literally take twice as long when we're connected to the internet while we're doing them, which is a ridiculous amount of time to waste. You know, if you want to get, in other words, four hours of work done and, you know, eight hours of work done in four hours, just disconnect from the internet because it'll allow you to, to be distracted so much less. But I think the answer comes down to dealing with the distractions that derail our productivity ahead of time. And for the simple fact that we're most productive when we work towards our goals in the moment. And the distractions, especially those that reside on the internet, the ones that are the most distracting are such because they're more attractive than our work in the moment. And so going on Facebook or Reddit will always be a sexier task that we want to do more than the actual real work that's in front of us. And so making a plan to deal with these distractions, whether you find you're interrupted by email or Reddit or Twitter or Facebook, wh whatever the hell you're, you're distracted by, making a plan to deal with these ahead of time before they come up um, and before you're tempted to fall into a black hole of them um, is, is kind of the way out. And I, I've been thinking about this idea recently too. And I think that distractions and interruptions that derail our productivity can be kind of separated by two factors. Uh, the first is whether or not we have control over them. And the second is whether they're annoying or whether they're kind of welcome or a fun reprieve from our work. And if you kind of in your head, close your eyes, not, not if you're driving or at the gym or in public, because it might look kind of weird. If you draw kind of a two by two grid in your head. And on the left side is whether or not you have control over these things. And on top is whether they're annoying or whether they're fun. The ones you can't control, um, you can't prevent them from arising because you can't control over them. You know, whether they're fun ones, um, like, um, you know, a call from your loved ones while you're working, or your team coming by your office to say, hey, man, you want to grab lunch? It's on me. Um, those are welcome uh, distractions or, or ones that are unwelcome, like phone calls or meetings you can't avoid. You can't deal with these ahead of time, but you can deal with how you relate to them as they come up. And so you can welcome the ones that are fun and, and try to get back on track as quickly as you possibly can for, <clears throat> for the ones that, that are unwelcome. But for the ones that you can control, like email alerts, um, one of the worst productivity detractors are email alerts because we're constantly bombarded by them. And every single time we get one, our, our focus is interrupted. Um, email alerts, um, you know, 
social media alerts, notifications of most kinds. My, my cell phone never buzzes. It never beeps. And I check my notifications whenever I check my text messages or, or whenever I check the time because my phone happens to be my pocket watch. And that's when I deal with the interruptions that come in. It's kind of a natural break in the day. Um, you know, you can leave your phone at home if you find that you're wasting a lot of time on it or that you're only skimming the surface of your work uh, when you're on your phone, which is often the case for, for a lot of people. Or you can disable a lot of the notifications that you receive ahead of time or download an app like Self-Control for the Mac. Uh, you know, there are one, ones for Windows too, where you can create a list of sites that you don't want to visit when you're in your peak productivity hours, maybe enable these apps during your, your biological prime time. And so, you know, again, the, the advice will work differently depending on the person. Um, but this, I, I think, is, is a truth that's universal, is distractions derail our productivity because in the moment, we would rather be doing them than our actual work. And so dealing with them ahead of time, they're infinitely easier to deal with ahead of time than they are to deal with as they come up because we can't get away from them. They're, they're more fun. Um, and, and so I, I think that's the best answer is first of all, figure out whether you have control over it or not and change how you relate to it if you don't. And if you do have control, make a plan to, to change it for the next time. Awesome. So let's say you've done, you're doing that, right? You, you've put in the, the, the checks so you don't check the internet when you, don't, when you shouldn't be. Yeah. But you're getting to work and you find yourself, man, I just can't focus. Like I'm just, the internet has trained my brain to be constantly distracted. Um, what can we do to retrain our ability to, to focus on a task um, deeply? I think it comes down to the idea of to continue stumbling <laughs> and, and to get back up. And maybe more than that, to, to try these tactics while being aware of, there's another fire truck, man, this day in, uh, it's a crazy day here. Again, that, that, was a, that, was a, that was a in that quadrant. I had no control over that, so I had to change how, <laughs> how I related to, to that distraction that derailed my focus just there. Um, but, it, you know, that's the thing about the internet is it's so stimulating um, that it's hard to kind of separate away from that. And sometimes I find the best answer is to disconnect entirely. And that might sound drastic, but when you consider the idea that we spent 47% of our time on the internet procrastinating, it can often be worth it, especially when we're doing tasks that are aversive. And so when we find ourselves doing a task that, that flips those procrastination triggers, so it's boring, it's frustrating, it's difficult, it's ambiguous, it's unstructured, we procrastinate the most when a task is like that. And so we should get rid of the alternatives that are more um, or, or less aversive than that. And so disconnecting entirely, uh, as a good example, I wrote most of my book while being disconnected from the internet. And so my publisher gave me, I think, 35 or 40 weeks, uh, but I ended up writing the book in 24 weeks because I was disconnected from the internet for most of it, even though it's pretty research heavy. And writing for me, I, I don't have a a journalism degree or anything like that. I'm just naturally curious about this stuff. I have a business degree, and so I'm, I'm not a writer by trade. And I find writing to be, it's a fun process and it's a meaningful process, but it's a tedious process in practice, and I procrastinate on it more than any other task in my work. Uh, but 
when I disconnect from the internet and, you know, I so often leave my phone at home when I go to a, my favorite coffee shop here and have my rosemary almond milk latte, um, you know, which I drink with one pinky in the air. And I write best in those conditions because the distractions simply aren't there. Um, my computer, the Wi-Fi on it is off. My phone is at home. So I'm not attracted by that more, um, frankly, attractive alternative than the actual work that I ought to be doing. And so, you know, eliminating these distractions ahead of time or, you know, cutting yourself off entirely when you have the flexibility to do so, I think is is crucial. And even if you work in, a, in an office type environment where you don't have a lot of control over your work, if you have the flexibility to attend an important meeting and not be available or connected for an hour during that time, you have the flexibility to disconnect from the internet for an hour or two. Very cool. Well, hey, Chris, this has been a great conversation. Um, where can people learn more about your book and your work? Yeah, that was fun. Uh, my, my book is called The Productivity Project. It's available. We're, we're translating it into, I think, seven languages by now. But you know, you, you walk into any bookstore or, or audiobook store, uh, metaphorically you walk into an audiobook store, I narrate it. So if you like the sound of my voice, um, you can get it there. If you don't like the sound of my voice, uh, the physical copy or the e-copy is, is, is the place to go for that. <laughs> um, so it's called The Productivity Project. And my website is alifeofproductivity.com. And you can find on that website uh, all the experiments that I've conducted and all the articles from The Productivity Project. And I, I'm continuing to, to post an article every Monday uh, while, I, while I do stuff like speaking and and consulting, but I, I love writing more than anything because even though it's an aversive task <laughs> and I procrastinate on it, even when not many distractions are around, um, it, it's it's so meaningful and, and I love sharing ideas that way too. Fantastic. Well, Chris Bailey, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. My guest today was Chris Bailey. He's the author of the book, Productivity Project. You can find it on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can also find out more information about Chris's work at alifeofproductivity.com. You can see some of the metrics that he uses to measure his productivity there. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash productivity project, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. Our show is edited by Creative Audio Lab here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you have any audio editing needs or audio production needs, check them out at creativeaudiolab.com. As always, we appreciate your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently 
at capella.edu.